And if you would, please turn to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 2, and we'll read verse 14. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. As you're turning there, let me uh, just sort of uh, let you know sort of, of what's, what's coming up. So as you know, we have the Christmas Eve service on Friday, continuing to focus on the birth of Jesus Christ and what that means for us. Then that next Sunday, the 26th, will be sort of a, uh, a sermon that, sort of it, that comprises some of the, uh, the things that we've covered this year, some of the books, so like Philippians we've covered this year. We've covered uh, a lot of the Psalms over the summer. We've covered the book of Jonah. And so sort of uh, focusing on some precious truths from each of those different books. And then the first sermon of the new year will really be focused on some lessons from the life of Charles Spurgeon. And then after that, we'll then pick up a new book to work through. So if you're there in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, let me read that for us. It says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Father, you are the most high God. What is man that you should be mindful of him? What is the son of man that you should care for him? Lord, who are we that you should take notice of us? and even draw your attention to us this morning in our meager efforts to worship you and to celebrate the birth of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would receive these efforts, Lord, that they would be honoring to you and glorifying to you. We pray that you would continue to honor and glorify yourself through the rest of our time this morning, especially as we look to your word and what it teaches us concerning the birth of Christ. And so help us to set our minds on the Lord and help us to receive what you have predestined for us to receive this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In March of 2020, there was a particular show that came out, out on YouTube and the first episode was incredibly popular that it generated about 3 million views. And the show itself, which was a limited run show itself, had over seven, or sorry, 72 million views with 2.58 million subscribers. And that show is none other than SGN, which stands for Some Good News. Some of you might be familiar or have seen some of these episodes created by John Krasinski, who is an actor and filmmaker. If I mentioned a popular show that he was a part of, you would probably quickly immediately realize who this is. But the show had, well, you would expect in a, typically, in a typical news program, you had news events, you had comical sports, comical weather forecasts. And he also has several different guests come in through each and every episode. And since we're in the holiday season, they actually, last year, the end of last year, they, they produced uh, one special holiday episode 
And in that episode, they had an announcement that FedEx had donated $5 million to Toys for Tots. Praise the Lord for that. And also, they had a special guest in that episode who was Dwayne The Rock Johnson, or also known as Duanta Claus, to help deliver some good news. And in that particular episode, they had interviewed a widower, a father of two, who had put up a lot of his prized possessions out on, on eBay to try to sell and come up with some money to, to buy some gifts for his children. And so they interviewed him, and they brought in Duanta Claus, and Duanta Claus, in his generosity, well, provided for this man. He said, take off all the stuff on eBay. I'll pay you whatever it's worth, and you can keep all this stuff. And by the way, we'll also pay for all your children's gifts, and plus more. Certainly a good news to that family who desperately needed some good news. And the whole idea behind the show was to deliver some good news as the world was in, in a pandemic and everyone was on lockdown. And it was a wonderful show, a great show, family-friendly show, always delivers some really, really good news. But the thing about good news is that good news can quickly become old news. Maybe after a day, after two days, after a week, maybe some good news can last a few months. But eventually, the good news loses its excitement. Now, while we may remember the good news and we might still be in a state of gratitude depending on the good news, even if it's, we're thinking about it years after we received the good news, the thing about good news, again, is that it is old. It was in the past. Very few good news is life-altering and life-transforming. Very few events in the world that were good news at the time have become something that's commemorated and celebrated on a regular basis. We are in the holiday season, obviously. I was thinking about giving and receiving, purchasing, celebration, good food, good family, good company. But most of all, this is about the celebration of the good news, the greatest news of the world, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. And so that is our focus this morning, but we're specifically focusing on the announcement and everything that's coming that surrounds this announcement of the Savior's birth. And we'll conclude with sort of a, the appropriate response today to this good news. But first, let's take a look at the nature of this announcement that we read here in Luke chapter 2. But I want to take it back to, chapters, to chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So in Luke 2, verse 1, it tells us, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now imagine with me if this was how the book of Luke started out. If we didn't have any of the content that came before Luke chapter 2, and this was just how it began. I'm under how you might receive this news. 
I mean, conceiving and birthing itself is a miracle. It is something wonderful to be celebrated. And yet, it is something that happens on a regular basis, praise the Lord. But it is something that we are used to seeing and hearing about. And when we read this short narrative concerning the birth of a son, just taking it at face value, there's, there's really nothing particularly different there. There's nothing exciting there, obviously with the exception of the birth, but there's nothing different there. In that sense, it's sort of a regular occurrence. Even what becomes what is extraordinary becomes ordinary through repetition, something that you come to expect. You know, and sometimes, maybe for you, as you think about the holiday season, it seems, might seem sort of a regular day or a regular holiday. Or I wonder how you consider the birth of Christ during this Advent season. Do you perhaps think of it as something just another day, something ordinary? Something that which is, well, becomes repetitive year after year after year. Maybe once was once exciting, but not exciting, all that exciting anymore. And yet, at the same time, many of us might anticipate the holidays, the receiving, the giving of gifts, time with family, time with friends. But that excitement at times might pale in comparison to the excitement that we perhaps should have as we think about the birth of Jesus Christ and what it means for the world. That we might take chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and sort of the ordinariness of that narrative and that it would be our similar attitude to the Advent season. Perhaps even to the point where the Advent or the birth of Christ is sort of an afterthought. Maybe we'll celebrate that after the holiday is over. Maybe even before, maybe after, but not during. Such a seemingly ordinary event. But there's a lot of content that came before it. And then even then, it's still kind of perplexing because it's still so ordinary, given everything that came before I mean, in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it tells us, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what, was, what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So we have that, this prophetic announcement, this miracle that is given to Mary, that she would conceive and bear a son. 
Not only that, but you have other events happening as well. If you look at the other narratives in the Gospels, in the birth narrative, right, you read that there was also other things that, the, that this angel said to Mary, that you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And you have the events surrounding Zechariah, who was a priest in the temple of the Lord, and an angel appearing to him in the temple and telling him that his wife, who was barren, who was beyond childbearing, will give birth to a son, and his name shall be John, and he shall prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. And Zechariah didn't believe, and so he became mute until his son was born. You have that incredible event, and you have Mary visiting Elizabeth, the, the wife of Zechariah. And at that time already, the baby in her womb was filled with the Holy Spirit and recognized the baby in Mary's womb, another miraculous event. And then you have Mary's Magnificat, where she blesses and praises the Lord and who has looked favorably upon her, and how the Lord also will, has brought a Redeemer to God's people. And then you have Zechariah's prophecy shortly following that, who basically says some of the same things, that a Redeemer has come, that a Savior of the world has come. So you have all of these things happening before the seemingly ordinary event in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and Mary giving birth to the Son. And so giving all this content that comes before the birth of Jesus, you might have expected a grand entrance. Lights, sounds, to the degree that we might even see during the holiday season. You might anticipate a, a spectacular announcement given to the entire world. And instead, what we are left with is, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And that was it. Given all that that happened before, some might even be left wondering, sort of with the feeling of being let down, perhaps. Right? I'm sure we've all experienced being let down before, maybe something that was hyped up, something we looked forward to, to seeing or experiencing, and then we go through it, and it's like, that really wasn't anywhere near what I expected. We might have expected a grand entrance something spectacular, and if that was the case, then you might be let down. Which might then only add to the feelings of ordinariness surrounding the holiday season. But thank the Lord for verses 8 through 14. In verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, we have this grand proclamation. It tells us, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you news, good news, of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Again, we have such an ordinary telling of this birth. And yet what we also see is this great joy and celebration in the heavens. It's like the heavens themselves are torn open. 
and then these shepherds are able to see something that is happening that no person could see with their natural eyes. They get a glimpse into this heavenly choir. And if you had then expected that there'd be some grand announcement, some grand proclamation of the Savior's birth, if you had only, if you continue just to read down through the narrative and get to chapter 8, your expectation would be met and even exceeded. So what we have is a choir of angels celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Nowhere else do you see this in other narratives in the Gospels surrounding the birth of Christ. Without it, right, we might be disappointed, we might be tended, tempted to treat it trivially. But let the choir of angels and the worship of God remind you of the importance of this event. The angels were rejoicing. They were singing, praise the Lord, praise God in the highest. There may not have been a grand announcement given to the world. There wasn't this incredible light shining from heaven to show the world that something miraculous has happened. But this is written for us so that we might be reminded of how spectacular the birth of Christ is. What appeared to be an ordinary birth, what we see is not ordinary at all. But it's actually spectacular in its scope and its breadth, not only include the celebration of men, but the celebration of angels as well. Right, and if the angels themselves worship and praise the Lord for this miraculous event, how much more should the children of God celebrate and rejoice this miraculous event every single year. So having then considered the nature of this announcement, let's consider the object of this announcement and the events surrounding the announcement. The first object of this event is God himself. It tells us the angels worship. It said, glory to God in the highest, on an earth peace among with those whom with whom he is pleased. So we see that this is just an announcement. It wasn't just an announcement accompanied by angelic worship. They were not there to bear witness to the announcement. But they were there to show the great celebration of heaven. And these shepherds were invited to partake of the celebration as well. Now, why do they praise the Lord? might be an obvious question, but bear with me for a moment as we answer this question. Why do the angels of God praise the Lord? A few different reasons why they praise God. They praise God because what has been foretold has finally happened. This, has been made, this announcement has been made before, long ago in the past, and the time has been fulfilled, and God has kept his word. We see in Isaiah, for example, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. They are rejoicing and worshiping God because what has been foretold has finally happened. Second, they worship God because God is the one who has made this possible. In Luke 1.35, it tells us, The angel answered Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. God is the one who created this miracle. And so they worship God. The angels of heaven worship the Lord because God is ultimately the object of all glory. All glory be to God. They're saying glory to God in the highest. The glory of God is the object of salvation. Jesus himself knew this and understood this and proclaimed this in John 17, 1, when he was just moments from his crucifixion, his hour of glorification. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Why was the Son given unto the world, born of a virgin, born in a manger for the glory of God. Why did the Son of God live his life and conduct himself in his ministry, proclaiming the gospel and healing the sick for the glory of God? Why did God, why did Jesus go to the cross for the glory of God? Why did Jesus rise again from the dead to the glory of God? So, of course, the angels are worshiping God because all glory is to God. They worship because the time has been fulfilled and the Son has been born into the world to the glory of God. We see that the object of this announcement ultimately is for the glory of God. And the object of this announcement is also towards man as well. This announcement is made to these angels. We don't know exactly who they are. All we know is that they're shepherds. But for whatever reason, they are invited to partake in the celebration of heaven. They are invited to go and behold the miracle for themselves with their own eyes. They're given this image of a heavenly choir. And yet we might still wonder, knowing everything that came before, knowing how miraculous and wonderful this good news is, we might still wonder why wasn't this announcement made much more public? I mean, if we think of today in a royal birth, right, there would be a town crier proclaiming the announcement of the birth of royalty. When Prince William was born, there were announcements made. There were flyers put around Buckingham Palace. Typically, when you have a royal birth, it would also be met with a, a I think it's a 42 or 41 gun salute. People would be standing outside the palace gates to hear the announcement. And once they heard it, they would all rejoice. And now with television and social media, right, of course, this news spreads throughout the world that everybody knows. One reason why this announcement isn't made so publicly so that the entire world world knows is because not many would actually receive it with joy. 
For example, Herod, who was jealous, angry, saw the birth of Jesus, saw the birth of this king as a threat, and wanted to kill Jesus, and ultimately had many upon many children, male children, slaughtered because he didn't want to be deposed. The religious leaders, if there's anybody who should be expecting the Savior of the world and, and, or meeting that, that, that the birth of Jesus with joy and celebration should have been the religious teachers. But even they don't even seem to, be, to care enough at least to investigate and follow the wise men and see. But it seems like they should just go back home and to them as an ordinary event. Nothing to distinguish it from all other days. And here we have some shepherds. We have no idea why they were chosen to receive this amazing announcement. This probably is intended to communicate to us the pattern of how God deals with man concerning salvation, that God chooses whomever he wills. God chose Abraham, called him out of his pagan life to be the forefather of our faith for reasons we will never know. God chose Jacob, the younger Jacob, in the womb over his older twin brother, older brother Esau, for reasons we will never know. God chose Mary and favored her, not because of anything she did, but for whatever reason, God favored her. God, for whatever reason, brought these wise men from the east to come and behold and worship the newborn king. God chooses whomever he wills, and God saves whomever he wills. But this is also written for us. This event, this narrative is written for us, not only so that we may understand and know the birth of Christ, but so that we may also join in the celebration. So that we don't allow the rush of the holidays, so that we don't allow the festivities, so that we don't allow the, or permit the, the anticipation of the celebration to overshadow the celebration of our hearts that this should be towards the birth of Jesus Christ and what it means for you and me. This is a news that transcends time in history because it is a good news of great joy for all the world, for all time in history so that God's people would continue to rejoice over and over and over again because of what Christ has done for us. This announcement was for the worship of God and for the sake of these shepherds who were invited to join in and also for your sake and my sake as well. The Lord means to stir us up by way of reminder of what the holiday season is truly about. Lastly, let's then talk about the content of this announcement or this proclamation from heaven. The angels praise the Lord and they sing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And there's a message behind the message here. They say, glory to God in the highest. 
They're not saying glory in the highest to God, ascribe to God all glory and praise in the highest way possible, though he is deserving of that. But no, they are saying glory to God who is in the highest. And this seems to be a reference to a particular title of God that we see throughout the, the Bible, a title that you don't see quite often. You see its usage mostly in the Psalms and interestingly in the book of Daniel. And that title is the Most High, that God is the Most High. For example, in Genesis 14, 22, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Psalm 47, 2, For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared a great king over all the earth. Daniel 4, 17, The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Do yourself a favor, when you get the chance, just look up the usage of most high in the Bible. It's not very many, but it reveals a great deal about the person of God. It is a title that points to God's royalty and honor that surpasses all others, that he is the ruler of all nations, that he is possessor of all things, that he is the one who deserves worship and glory and honor above all men. It's a title that sets God apart from all other people, from all other kings, from all other leaders. It points to his prestigiousness that is unsurpassable by anyone or anything. So they're ascribing glory to God, the God who is the most high. And they're worshiping him for the peace that has come on earth to those with whom God is pleased with. So what we have here is God who is the most high, bringing his peace down below, sort of coming across this vast chasm and bringing a peace to us, bringing a gift amongst men, a gift that we would not expect somebody of so much prestige and status and honor. It points to the condescension of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder in the book of Philippians that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that even though he was in the form of God, that even though he was God, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, taking on our likeness. That God in Christ would cross this incredible chasm to come to us. This is why Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, what king? You would never expect a king who has a son, newborn, to then be given into the world to live amongst men, to live with common man. You would never expect that. This is what God has done not as a form of punishment towards his son, but because he loves his son and he wants him to receive the glory and because he loves his people who are on earth and have found favor in his sight. God would send his royal son into the world, born of a virgin, 
to live as one of us, to go through the trials that we experience, to experience the sufferings that we endure, to experience even the temptations that we are faced with, and yet without sin, in order to identify with us, in order to show that he is like us, in order that he may die for us. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is why we celebrate. God had given unto us his Son. He did it for the sake of those who are favored by God. And those who are favored by God have his peace. This is the good news of peace. And this is different from our understanding of peace. When we think of peace, we think of relational peace. Peace with family members, peace with friends, peace between governments, peace between nations, peace between leaders. But that is not the kind of peace that God had intended to give to the world. But what he intended to give is a shalom kind of peace, a peace with man, a peace, excuse me, with God. A holy state of blessedness between God and man. A reconciliation between God and man. That's the kind of peace that God intended to give to the world. And this is a gift which increases the delight of this good news because it cannot be earned. It cannot be purchased. This is a comfort for anyone and everyone in the world. This is a comfort for the person who thinks that their sins are too grave, who thinks that their sins are too many, who thinks that they have done too many terrible things in the world and perhaps even estranged themselves from their family and have nobody to celebrate with this holiday season. That the good news of this gift is for them as well because it cannot be earned or purchased, but it is received freely through faith in Christ. And at the same time, it is a frightening reality to those who place their comfort and trust on their good works because this isn't a something to be earned, a reward for good behavior, because if it is for good behavior, well, then bad behavior will then means that you are then deserving of it being taken away. And nobody wants to live with that kind of doubt to always, want to, to always think about, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? But this is a gift to be received by faith. And how is this vertical peace with God even accomplished? It's accomplished by Jesus Christ who was born into the world and died for sin. And that is the problem that we have. We have sin that... that creates this chasm between us and God that makes this, this, this relationship with God irreparable, irreconcilable because of our sins. And Jesus has come into the world in order to pay the debt of sin that we owe to God, to spare us from the judgment of God because of our sins. And when we place our faith and trust upon Jesus, then we are reconciled with God, forgiven of that debt of sin. And we receive this peace with God. That's why the book of Romans chapter 6 says that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a free gift accomplished by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to be received by those who place their faith upon Jesus as the Son of God. 
this peace is for anyone who will receive it by faith. And that is how you know that you are favored by God. When you receive this faith, this gift by faith. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Joy and peace in God is received through faith. The story of Christmas is a story about how the Most High has transcended time and space and even our sins to reconcile us to himself. It's about how the Most High has taken the initiative in establishing this peace with us. It's about the Most High absorbing the cost of this peace, and namely that is the crucifixion of his Son for us. And this peace is given to whomever receives it by faith. So this is what the holiday season is truly about. So to conclude, let me give you some thoughts concerning the celebration of Christmas to the glory of God. And I want to speak to a few different categories. You might fall into one or more of these categories that I'm speaking to. First category of those I want to speak to are those without peace. My hope and prayer for you, if you are here this morning, if you are watching via live stream, that if you do not have the peace of God that comes as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ, I hope that you can still have a wonderful celebration this Advent season, this holiday season. I am more especially glad that you are here to, to hear this good news. But my prayer and hope is that the Lord would impress upon your heart the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that you would receive this gift that comes through faith in Christ. That this is the greatest gift that you can receive during the holiday season. Many of the gifts you probably receive this morning, you'll probably end up giving to goodwill anyway. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And this is the most precious, the most spectacular gift that you will ever receive. So receive it this morning by faith in Jesus Christ. Only then will you have this peace with God. I want to speak to those this morning who may also grieve. For you, the holiday season might be a reopening of old wounds, perhaps. It might be a mix of joy and celebration with sorrow and pain and grief. In 2 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 10, we sort of had these, com these complex emotions in, in, the, in, the, in the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul writes concerning his ministry and his own life as unknown yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. I mean, how is this so? So many contradictory emotions in one single person. And yet, that is oftentimes, maybe not oftentimes, but at times in our lives in different seasons, that is our experience, isn't it? The Christian can be a, a person of very complex and even conflicting emotions because that person experiences the sorrows of the present while also maintaining a gospel-centric optimism that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Right? We are people who are constantly living in the past and the present and the future. We live in the present, and in the present we experience present sorrow, present grief, present suffering, present trials, present temptations. And even as we think to the past, when it comes to different seasons or times in the year, we sort of relive past trials, past experiences. And we sometimes look to the future and sometimes we think about the uncertainty. We might be overcome with worry and anxiety and doubt about what's coming next week, next month, next year. But we are a people of the Scriptures. We are a people of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we look to the past, we look at what God has done for us in Christ. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and what it has accomplished for us. And we yet rejoice in the present because we know that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we know right now, presently, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have peace with God. We have eternal life. And we also look to the future because we know that in the future, Christ will return. We will be reunited with Christ. And we will have everlasting life, everlasting joy, and everlasting peace. And that helps us to get through another day of trial. And so as you think about the holiday season, if you are in some measure grieving during this holiday season, look to the gospel of Jesus Christ and find hope in the gospel and find joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for you in coming into the world and dying for you so that you may have peace with God and eternal life with the Lord. Maintain and hold on to your glorified optimism an optimism that isn't like the world, but your optimism is grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So yes, you can be sorrowful, and at the same time, you can also be rejoicing. Because you are still loved by God, protected by God, and always in God's hands. Next, speaking to those because there may be some of you this morning who don't particularly look forward to the holiday season. Perhaps you just don't like the holiday rush, all the travels, the plans, the, the going out and purchasing and spending all this money. I remember the movie The Grinch, the Jim Carrey version, when all the people of Whoville are in the, in the store and buying all this stuff, and then the alarm bell goes off and the sounds go off, and they're like, oh, this person has maxed out their second credit card, and everybody is rejoicing all together, right? That's... It just makes you cringe to know how much you can actually spend during the holiday seasons and you can be really frustrated. And certainly there can be a lot of things to be frustrated about during the holiday season to the degree that you're just ready to be done with it. My encouragement to you is to not allow your frustrations about the holidays overshadow the joy of the birth of Jesus Christ. Right, we can become more Grinch-like and we can become much more frustrated during the holiday season when we focus on the holiday itself instead of focusing much more on what the holiday season is truly about and that is the birth of Christ. Sure, you can do things to plan better, spend less, whatever the case may be, but why not consider making an intentional effort 
to reflect on the birth of Christ so that you might place your focus on something of much, something much bigger, something much greater than the lights and the sounds and the food and the company. Focused on the birth of Christ. And lastly, to those who do look forward to celebrating, whether you fall into the category of one of the others and this one, whatever the case may be, so my prayer and hope is that you will have a wonderful time. Enjoy it. Have fun. Receive, give, have time, have good time with friends, family, have good food. Enjoy it all. And I do pray and hope that it is a wonderful time for you. But I, again, thinking back to the Grinch, though, not the Jim Carrey version, but the original Dr. Seuss, in my opinion, much better version. At the end of the movie, you have all the citizens come together, even all the, the decorations, the food have all been taken away, all the gifts have been taken away. They, they still surround the tree holding hands, and they still celebrate. And I have no idea what they're singing to, if they're singing to the tree or what else. But there's something to that, isn't there? I mean, what, how would you receive the holiday season? What would your celebration look like with, if, it wasn't, if it was without the gifts and coming together, if it wasn't about the lights and the sounds and all those things that we have made it to be? It's not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but it's a question of what you find your delight and happiness in during this holiday season because it can be very easy to find your greatest delight in those things and not on the birth of Jesus Christ and what that means for your life now and unto eternity. Right? Would you still celebrate and rejoice in the birth of Christ if it was without all of the other stuff? And I'm not saying that you should be making it less Christmas-like. All I'm trying to say is that your celebration, your time of rejoicing and enjoying the holiday season should be further enhanced, can be further enhanced when you reflect and rejoice first and primarily on what Christ has done for us. Because that is essentially what the holiday season is about. When we look to the gospel, when we look at the birth narrative, when we look at the manger scenes, when we look at all these things that the scriptures tell us about what the birth narrative is about, what Christmas is about, we, it's an opportunity for us to rejoice and proclaim, look at what God has done for us. Look at what the Lord has done for us in sending his own beloved son in order to give us peace, reconciliation, in order to give us eternal life with him forever and ever and ever to be reminded of the greatest gift that you already have. And let that be your greatest cause of celebration this holiday season, more than anything else that you might receive this year. So if you needed some good news this morning, there it is. Some good news for all of you and for many more. And with this good news in our minds and our hearts, let us celebrate the glory of God. Let us give gifts to the glory of God. Let us have meals to the glory of God. And if you should grieve, grieve to the glory of God as you look to the Lord as your greatest comfort and joy as well. 
And so during the holidays, today, tomorrow, throughout the rest of the week, even into the new year, let us rejoice the glory of God, for He has done great things for us. Father, we, we are so incredibly, incredibly grateful for what you have done for us. And Lord, it is so easy for us to be more excited about all the other things that Christmas has become. Lord, and these, many of these things are good things. They are wonderful things, things to be celebrated, things that we ought to thank you for, for your graciousness and kindness and provision. Lord, we often forget that we have within us something better and something greater than anything that we could receive during the holiday season, and that is the gift of Christ, who is our Savior. Lord, help us to rejoice in the birth of Christ. Help us to rejoice that Christ is our Savior. Lord, and as we celebrate, God, that our time of celebration, whether it's on our own, perhaps, whether it's with friends or family members, whether it's here, and the church, God, that however we celebrate that, it would, only, that would, just, it would be enhanced by the delight that is in our hearts because we recognize the fact that we have been given an incredible gift through your son Jesus. So we pray that you would help our celebration this year all to your eternal glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.